Howdy ho, neighbor, and welcome to episode six of Have a Blessed Gay, your weekly spiritual comedy podcast. I am your holy hostess with the mostest, who also really enjoys French toastist, Tyler Martin. Which, by the way, is French toast actually French, or is that like French fries and it isn't French at all? Please, someone who is educated on toast, let me know. Make sure to cite your sources and definitely, you know, recommend any podcasts that you know of that are toast-centric. Thank you in advance. And to the new subscribers out there, thank you for joining, fam. To the people who rated and wrote reviews, you get an extra thank you and a symbolic gold star. Wow. Congratulations. But really, I so appreciate y'all's support. Thank you. I hope everyone has a fire underneath their political ass right now. In America, we are going through some shit. It's not new shit, but just shit that got kicked out of the litter box, so now everyone's smelling it. Well, that was a weird analogy, but I think it works. Sure, why not? We have the ability to make change, so let's do it. Today's guest is someone who decided she wanted to make a difference. And damn it, she has. Her name is Megan Hunt. <laughs> Megan is the first openly out LGBTQ state senator of Nebraska, vice chair of urban affairs, single mom, and just a fierce bisexual queen. We chat about her identity as an atheist her work to ban conversion therapy, what religious freedom actually means, and how everyone can become involved politically. If you aren't already fired up to make change, I assume this convo will spark a flame or two. So come on y'all, and let's get inspired together. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at BetterHelp.com slash gay to check it out and get what? 10% off. The best part is you don't even have to leave your house. They offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor, video calls, phone calls, real-time chat, and direct messaging. All counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board. In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash gay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash gay. Megan Hunt, welcome to Have a Blessed Gay. Hi, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me. 
Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Let's just get into it. Tell us who you are and what you do. Well, um, I'm Megan Hunt, and I represent a district in Midtown Omaha, Nebraska, in one of the most urban parts of our state. Um, I was elected in 2018 when I became the first out LGBTQ plus person ever elected to the Nebraska legislature, and also the first woman from my district elected for this seat. Um, it was my first time running for office, and uh, you know it's been a really great experience. I think that you know my place of passion really comes from the state and local level. It comes from government that is closest to the people and most accessible to the people we represent. And, um, you know, public service has always been what I wanted to do. And I just feel really lucky and privileged and grateful to be able to serve in this capacity. That's so awesome. I can't believe you were the first out LGBTQ person and first female. That's incredible. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inspiration station. Um, I was reading in your, um, on your website, you have a personal note and on there you say people are tired of the status quo of business as usual. And I understand that because I spent my whole life questioning the way things are done, including the misguided decisions of policymakers who are more concerned about their next election than serving their constituents. I ran for office because I believe there is a better way, which is so great. A person after my own heart. That's what this whole <laughs> podcast is about, is questioning the norms and challenging uh, what is being done. So I love it. Uh, would you just go more into that and more what you were talking about before of really what inspired you to get involved in politics? Yeah, Tyler, thanks. I mean, I wrote that before I got elected. And since I got elected, I feel like I've even had a lot of ego death in terms of the ownership that I take and like the credit that I want for the work that we're doing. Um, the way I see my position in elective office is the office is not mine. I'm serving the institution. I'm serving the office and I'm serving the people I represent. And I'm kind of here for a good time, not a long time. I mean, in Nebraska, the longest I can serve as a state senator is eight years because we become term limited. Um, and we have a really unique system and institution in Nebraska, um, having the only one house unicameral legislature and also the only nonpartisan legislature in the entire country. So this gives us... Um, those of us who are in the legislature, a really great opportunity to serve all the people that that are in our districts that are in the state, not just one party or not just one type of ideology. And that's something that I take very, very seriously because um, protecting that institution, protecting that nonpartisanship, um, I think that builds more trust in government. And that's what I see my job to do. Um, whether I get reelected again, that's none of my business. You know, I feel like if I do a good job and Nebraskans see that I do represent that accountability and transparency and trust that they will trust in me to keep representing them. But um, when we talk about that status quo, I think that the reason people don't like government, the reason people don't trust politicians is because they just serve for their next reelection. They see this as a career. And I know that, you know, this isn't the most interesting thing I'm ever going to do. This isn't um, about me. This isn't something that I'm entitled to. It's really just a privilege to be able to fill this capacity of, of public service. I first got interested in running um, in 2015 when I was working with Planned Parenthood of the Heartland and the Omaha Public Schools and the Women's Fund of Nebraska and a bunch of different organizations 
to update uh, Omaha's comprehensive sex ed curriculum. Our sex ed curriculum in Omaha hadn't been updated since 1971. Oh my gosh. Right. So since then we've had the AIDS epidemic. We've had an increasingly out and increasingly depressed and suicidal LGBTQ plus population in our students. We've had the internet. We've had, um, you know, porn and like all of the things that have changed since 1971. Um, We needed to make sure that our kids were getting the best evidence-based, medically accurate education around that, around their own bodies, around issues like consent. Um, So very long story, very short. It was really hard, but we did it. And we kind of did it against all odds. So I found out that like when we have that kind of political win, it is so intoxicating. And I thought, you know, maybe this is something that I should continue to do. I should continue to work in this red state to bring political wins on progressive issues by sticking to the facts, by being honest, by telling the truth and by, you know, kind of letting the people decide. That's so awesome. I assume that kind of high is similar to almost like a runner's high or something like that. And I'm sure it does have to feel so incredible because anything that actually does get quote unquote accomplished in politics, it takes time. And so you're putting, you're putting your time, you're putting your life into change. And when it is a success, then yeah, that's incredible. It is like a high. And I mean, sometimes people think, especially in politics, that a person comes out of nowhere or a new idea comes out of nowhere and then suddenly things are different. But actually it's years and sometimes decades of work that people like me are building upon, um, you know, stages that have been set for me by people before me. And, um, you know, there's kind of a, a, a parable, right. About like a seesaw and on one side of a seesaw, there's a bucket of cement. And on the other side, there's a bucket of sand and, One day you add another grain of sand and the seesaw tips and everybody goes, oh, that was sudden, but it was (laughs) millions of grains of sand to get there. So that's how I understand my political work. And um, it is very intoxicating when you get those wins. Would you, I'm going to kind of flip subjects, but then I'm going to come back to politics. Um, Mm -hmm. would, Would you say that you are a religious or spiritual person? No, um, I... I'm an atheist, but I'm not like, I don't like make a big deal about it. Um, (laughs) My, you know, my religious view or my spiritual view is um, that that's just a journey that everybody has to go on for themselves. I don't have any judgment of other people's beliefs. Um, Just that hasn't been part of my journey. And that hasn't been a tool that I have used in my own self-actualization. But, you know, whatever people believe, I, I, of course, support their right to believe it. And I respect it. I, I celebrate other faiths and I, I just don't have anything against it, but that's also something that's very rare in elected office. Um, you know, I see a lot of my colleagues, you know, honestly trying to legislate the Bible, trying to take a religious text that they believe in that not everybody else believes in and, um, you know, kind of use that as a basis to make policy. My focus and what I think everybody's focus should be is to let your religious tradition, let your spiritual beliefs inform your values, inform your behavior and your beliefs, um, to live with integrity, but to base policy, um, especially policy that has to affect people of all different religious backgrounds. We have to base that on science and evidence, not on religious beliefs. Could not agree more. And for people who 
might be confused because I know as a child who grew up in a very Christian, uh, very religious household, when I heard the word atheist, I was like, oh my gosh, they worship the devil. Like that was Mm -hmm. like the equivalent to what an atheist was in my mind. So would you just like break down that barrier and just say at least your definition, what that means to you? I understand. I grew up in a, in a Catholic household and, you know, my family is fine and accepts me and we're cool, but atheist is kind of a trigger word for a lot of people. Um, and even for me, because within the quote unquote atheist community, um, you know, I've even experienced an expectation that I represent them, that, you know, I've been asked to speak at atheist conferences and to atheist groups. And like, I'm not going to do anything like that. I don't want to be involved in any belief tradition at all. Like, I don't usually define myself as an atheist, actually. I usually just say I'm not a person of faith. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, some people have made a point that I think is a fair point that atheism is almost like a belief in itself. Um, it can be just as dogmatic sometimes as, uh, you know, very fundamentalist religious traditions. And so my, I am allergic to dogma. I don't um, believe in any kind of fundamentalism. I think that that's very dangerous. Um, I'm open-minded and I just have a belief that I can't know. I, I cannot know if there is a God. I cannot know uh, what happens after death or anything like that. I just try to do the next right thing all the time. And I don't, I don't really feel like I need to identify with any kind of atheist tradition or anything in order to do that. But I totally hear your point. And I think it's very valid. Um, you know, some of my colleagues have asked me things like, well, then how do you know you're an atheist? You don't believe in God. And I'm like, yeah, I don't believe in God. And they're like, well, then how do you know right from wrong? I know. It's like, like, (laughs) what? I think that you're kind of saying more about yourself than me at that point. Cause it's like, well, why do you rely on your religion to tell you right from wrong? Can't you just like think about that? (laughs) Yeah. Did it take God saying don't kill a person to know not to kill a person? (laughs) Right. I was going to say like, if the Bible didn't say do not steal, would you be out here stealing? Like, I just think that, you know, people need to examine their beliefs. Um, I don't care what you believe as long as it is examined. And my colleagues, the people I work with, the more they get to know me and they understand that that's my view, um, it breaks down all the barriers and we just don't have any tension, you know, whether that's about my sexual orientation or about my religious beliefs or what it is. And that just goes to show you, you have to talk to people and you can't make assumptions. And that's unfortunately not super common in my line of work. Well, thank you for clearing that up. I definitely want barriers dropped around that word and to try to lessen um, the weight of that word for some people. So thank you for that. I'm going to tag along something else that you said about using religion in politics. Something that grinds my little gay gears is when people discriminate (laughs) against and victimize a person or a whole group of people and claim they have the right to do so based on their religious beliefs. And so I would love to get more into this, talk a hot second about it. Um, Religious freedom does not equate to being superior or being given rights to harm or take away rights from other people. And that seems so clear to me, but there are people confused on that apparently in the world. So would you, from a political standpoint, just talk about religious freedom and and define what that means as a society and as a um, individual person? Well, religious freedom is, is real and it's important. And what I'm describing in terms of my spiritual beliefs is literally religious freedom. I mean, 
in the Nebraska legislature, I would like to have a Jewish colleague. We've never had a Jewish person elected to the Nebraska legislature. I would like to have a Muslim colleague. We've never had a Muslim elected. Um, yet I have colleagues who, who talk about religious freedom um, in a political way, which weaponizes basically the First Amendment concept for essentially Christian supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, just because most of the people in my community are Christian who are believers. And that's a fact. Um, I mean, we need, people need to, to do a logical mental exercise and imagine a community just like ours, where most people are Muslim because those communities exist or where most people are Jewish because those communities exist or any other type of religious tradition. And then, you know, you have to put yourself in those other people's shoes and see that, when you're legislating or making policy based on one religious text, you're excluding a lot of people. And there's certainly a lot of overlap between the Bible and the Quran and, and any religious text in terms of like really good moral ideas that we should use to drive, um, you know, people's behavior and conduct in society. Like don't steal, don't kill. All these things are great. But, um, you know, there really is a more recent movement to politicize it as a weapon, um, the concept of religious freedom and for, for rational thinking people, I just don't think that that's serious. I don't think that people should take that seriously. I don't think people should vote for these people who, who campaign on this kind of thing, because it's also driving a lot of kind of anti-intellectualism, anti-science, anti-research, anti-evidence types of beliefs there that are, you know, from the state level to the federal level, impacting the laws that we have. And I think that's a really big problem. I always say though, um, the people who we elect, who suck, who are doing stuff like this, who we don't like, sometimes that's because there wasn't somebody better running against them. When you look at a ballot, it's always a choice of, you know, it's always compared to who. It's never exactly what you want. It's always compared to who. And that's why we need more people running for office who have the political courage and the moral certitude to stand by what they believe and not allow a political party or an ideological trend like this new idea of quote unquote religious freedom as a weapon um, to stick by their principles and not allow themselves to be bent by those types of trends. So more people need to run for office basically who are sane and who, who um, are rational Well, and I believe exactly what you're saying that um, just to put it in maybe slightly different words that spirituality uh, is very different than religion and that can be found in a multitude of places. And I think it can be found in in politics. And that's if we're trying to be good people and we're trying to help others and spirituality is something that is inward. And I think a lot of um, religious people don't like the idea of taking spirituality out of politics, but I don't think that's ever the question. Uh, Exactly. To have morals is not religious. Um, To have morals is just to be a good person. And like you're saying, logical and to be conscious of others. And you don't have to have religion to, to have that. And I mean, I have, I have many colleagues who are, who are very religious, but they, they view the work that I do, the work that, that anybody does that's good as a reflection of the divine. And that's an interpretation that I accept too. I mean, um, you know, people, many of my religious colleagues say, you know, as long as you're doing the right thing, you are a reflection of God's intention and, or whatever they say. And, um, you know, I think that's a very open-minded and morally consistent way for a religious person to look at it. 
And they should apply that to LGBTQ people too. I mean, none, none of us are trying to hurt anybody. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's often been a political narrative is that there's some kind of danger, some kind of threat from our identities. But, but of course there are many religious people who accept us fully. So that's another reason that I just don't accept like a religious argument against LGBTQ equality, because there are many Christian people and religious faiths that, that don't say that. Well, and actually continuing on that track, something sometimes argued as religious freedom, as a religious right is the idea of conversion therapy. And mm. you created a bill that would ban conversion therapy in Nebraska, which is just so wonderful. Uh, first though, would you give uh, just a brief rundown of what conversion therapy is and then why, because of what it is, uh, why you <laughs> created a bill to ban it? Yes. Conversion therapy is a type of abuse. It's not therapy. It's a completely debunked practice of trying to change somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, a lot of, of minors, a lot of young kids and youth who go through conversion therapy, um, they do this because they're coming from a place of rejection. Maybe they've been rejected by their family, or maybe they're rejecting themselves and their own identity. I mean, all of us who are LGBTQ+, plus, well, I should say most, I bet almost all, we probably struggled with our identities when we started to realize our sexuality too. I mean, whether you come from a tradition where it's like not okay to be gay or you just sense that you're different from your friends from a young age and you don't know why and you're not comfortable with that because you want to be like everybody. Um, it's very normal to struggle with this identity when you're coming out and when you're coming to terms with it. Conversion therapy is an abusive practice of... Um, you know, receiving a treatment from a therapist that's trying to change you to be straight, that says, um, you know, it's right for you to be heterosexual and we're going to use shock therapy. We're going to use um, talk therapy. Uh, sometimes they use, uh, what's it called? Where they like show you like a homosexual image and then they show you like a disgusting or violent image at the same time to associate, um, you know, homosexuality with, with disgust or evil or things like that. So um, a lot of these types of therapies are done at religious camps or through religious institutions. Germany just fully banned it nationwide. Many, many states have have banned it. I think I want to say we're up to 19 now or something. I think there are only 15 when I introduced the bill. And this is a bill that I'm going to keep reintroducing every year until we get it banned in Nebraska. Yes, you are. It was so weird when we had the hearing. So a cool thing in Nebraska is every bill gets a hearing. Um, there's no like party leadership or committee uh, chair leadership that says we're not going to hear a bill. So oh, wow. um, it's a great thing. So when my conversion therapy bill had its hearing, we went up to midnight. Like it was, it was the longest hearing that the judiciary committee chair said he'd ever had. And there was so much opposition, people coming in who provide conversion therapy, who run these camps. Um, people came in from all over the country actually to speak against it. And it was very, shameful to me. Like I was very embarrassed for these people because they were basically in front of many youth and many young people and very, very brave people who had come to testify in support of the bill and say, I went through conversion therapy and this is how it affected me or, you know, revealing very personal things about themselves for them to kind of stand and, and listen to the opposition, tear them down. Um, I was very proud of them for going through that, but I was very ashamed and embarrassed for the opposition because they're basically putting themselves on the record as bigots, 
and as hateful people and as, you know, people who, who are coming from a religious tradition typically, but they cannot see their God in the face of this child because they're homosexual or bisexual or trans. Um, and that to me is a failure for them. Uh, from my understanding of the Bible, from my understanding of a Christian God, um, you know, this is a loving God. This is an accepting God, a forgiving God. And that it's really nobody's place to judge, um, you know, somebody's love. So watching the opposition for that bill was was very sad to me. I've heard, you know, throughout life, the term conversion therapy and heard of different places, but I haven't luckily uh, come in contact with one in my lifetime. And I think that that is something that I've had a conversation with a few people about that even within the LGBTQ community, that if you don't encounter it, then it's not as threatening to you, obviously, Mm -hmm. and it's not as real, but these are real places and they're all over. Yeah. People up and they're everywhere. And it's, it's a traumatic experience for the people who go through it. Um, you know, my, my colleague, Senator Chambers, Senator Ernie Chambers is a legend in Nebraska. He is the longest serving state Senator in our state's history. He has frequently been the only black state Senator. Um, and he is a registered independent. He is fierce. Um, he's very educated, but anyway, he calls it perversion therapy and, Mm. He, he learned about the concept from the hearing that we had on it. And he spoke up and he said, you should call it perversion therapy because what you're doing is sick. It's abusive to children. Um, so, you know, I have colleagues who totally understand it. And we just need to keep electing better people so that I have the numbers in this body to stop this practice. During your term as senator, um, this might be one of them or the one, but which achievement are you most proud of? There's lots of stuff that I'm proud of. I'm, I'm proud of the way I have stood up on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I've been very vigilant to make sure that we aren't inadvertently written out of bills or that we're not denied any benefits that come through new legislation, um, that things are worded in a gender neutral way that are not um, heteronormative. Uh, So I think that those little things, the kind of incremental stuff is a big achievement. In terms of legislation, um, this isn't LGBTQ plus related, but I'm really proud of a bill that I passed to update Nebraska's energy codes. And because of that, we now have the most progressive building and energy code in the country. So all new buildings and all new state buildings in Nebraska are constructed to the highest standard of energy efficiency, which is going to have really great outcomes for sustainability. So that's something I'm very proud of. Um, And then third, and perhaps really what I am most proud of is just the way I've forged positive relationships with my colleagues. Um, I love my colleagues. I have great productive relationships, even with those on the far right. And I think it's Nebraska's nonpartisan system that makes that possible because I'm not accountable to any party leader. We have no majority minority leaders. We have no caucuses. So I really do have freedom to develop sincere relationships with folks who are different from me ideologically. And in doing that, I think that I have broken down more barriers that will pay dividends for Nebraskans down the line. That's amazing. I It's so silly sometimes when we look at politics and it just seems like grown kids playing at clubhouses. It's just, it's It's, very bizarre. It's acting and, and 
you know this because like somebody will say something on the microphone and then we go out for drinks afterward and they treat me like a human being. And it's like, well, then why the fuck did you say all of that? Like, how can mm-hmm. you perform politics? You're performing partisanship and you're performing a role on the microphone. But then afterward, we're friends. I mean, just be normal, dude. Like it goes back to what I was saying earlier. None of us are entitled to be elected. None of us are, are, are we got to be here for a good time, not a long time. Um, because when this is all over and you're not elected and no one is calling you Senator and you don't get to have this type of political power, are you going to say that you were a good person that you treated people with respect and humanity? Um, I will. So, and, and that is, you know, my hope for everybody. I feel like there is this new wave of political leaders like yourself who are who are younger. They are involved socially in a way that hasn't been done before. Um, you're relatable. You use social media as a positive tool. And people like yourself make politics seem accessible, which I think is so essential and something that has been very severely lacking throughout history, even in our democratic quote unquote, government. Um, And do you think shifts are happening toward more accessibility for the general public, for individual voices to be heard? Do you see these changes happening? I absolutely do. And I, I do think a lot of that is just kind of the millennial ethos, I guess I would call it. I mean, I'm from a generation that basically grew up online. I started my first website when I was eight years old. And I have many, many peers who have a similar story. Uh, and I mean, we, we're also a more non-judgmental generation. It's going to be hard to, to explain to somebody in my generation to argue against equality. Like that's not an argument that most of us accept. I do think that just kind of the ethos of, of young people right now, it, it is going to lead to more democratization in our political systems. What do you hope for the future of our government? Is there anything or several things that you would like to see more of and uh, anything that you would like to see less of? I would like to see the power decentralized from the parties um, at, at state level and at the federal level. Absolutely. That cuts a lot of people out of politics because normal, quote unquote, people, they look at the news, they look at what politicians are doing, they look at what's going on in Congress and they say, I don't trust the government. I hate the government. I don't want to be part of it. And we're losing a lot of people who would be really great candidates and who would be really great representatives for the diverse, you know, states and the diverse country that we are. What would you say to a person then who has no clue how to get involved politically? Like, I am interested. I want to make a positive change. I want to help people, but I have no idea how. Okay, then what would be your suggestion for a first step? The only path to being a great public servant, I think, is through activism and through working through organizations. If you want to enter the political world, if you think that this is somewhere that you belong, and many people, I think, have natural gifts that, that do make them predisposed to, po- to, to politics and they should pursue this field, you need to get involved at the local level with organizations. Find groups that already exist that are working on issues that you care about. Donate your time, donate your money, um, get into public service because that's what's going to help you grow this network. You'll get to know more people in your community. You'll understand the problems that they actually face. You have to hear it from them. And then you can understand how to better solve it and fix these things. Politics and elected office is a different arena. 
There's a different playbook that you get to use when you're on the inside. When you're on the outside, when you're an advocate and an activist, you get to do different things. But when you run and you get elected, the game changes and the political arena is very serious. You have to have a huge network of support. You have to be able to raise huge amounts of money in order to play in the arena and win. So you, if you want to be in public office, you have to put in the time to build that network so that you can be a formidable player in this game. It's really about power. It is. And, you know, people who come from an activist background or, or who have more socialist tendencies as I do, um, it can feel kind of uncomfortable and brazen to admit that politics is about power, but it is. And unless you can assemble those power structures around you, you are not going to have success in elective office. And to get there, you have to put in a lot of hours of volunteering and building genuine, real ties to your community. It drives me insane when people come out of nowhere, especially people from underrepresented groups. Um, they come out of nowhere, they run for office and they lose. And then they take this as a rejection of their identity. That's not it at all. Like you cannot just come out of nowhere and think that you're going to be, you know, ushered into office. Like nobody is entitled to this. Everybody works hard for this. And you have to do that by building those networks. It's a different game. You know, getting involved is one thing, but running for office is another game. Well, it's even the big picture aspect. Like you can't yes. just go and win the race without running. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And holding office is also not the only way to wield power. I mean, there are, there are groups and there are figures on the outside of elected office that are extremely powerful and extremely important and who challenge what we do all the time in a very healthy way. So I want people listening to this to understand that wherever you land, um, as long as you are performing public service, as long as you're putting the people first, it's going to be the most rewarding thing you ever do. Well, you are quite inspiring. I think you're just such a badass and, and <laughs> incredible role model. Thank you for your service and all the work that you're doing and your words of inspiration for everyone. I hope everyone does uh, feel a fire underneath them and want to do some good in the world. Where can people find you and, and keep up with all the uplifting work that you do? <laughs> You're sweet. Thank you. I would love it if people followed me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Nebraska Megan on Twitter. I love Twitter. And if anyone would engage with me there, I would absolutely love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Tyler. Yes, with a side of yes, please. Here are my main takeaways from this awesome conversation. Number one, being an atheist does not equate to being a shit person. You don't need religion to have morals. And if you feel that you do, you need to look inside and address whatever the hell is happening in there. Number two, religious freedom does not give anyone the right to discriminate against someone else. And a quote unquote religion that is based in hate is not actually a religion. That's just a hate group, y'all. And remember this, in America, we do not have an official religion. As long as it isn't a hate group hurting people, people have the freedom to gather and worship whatever higher power they damn well want to. Number three, taking religion out of state does not mean that people have to take their spirituality or morals out of state. Reversely, that is the only thing that should be in there. Number four, holding office is not the only way to wield power. There are so many ways to become politically involved and several of those ways are working outside of government walls. Find an organization that you love and work with them to create change from the outside in. Number five, 
Conversion therapy is abuse. We have to do better as a country to protect our young people and ban conversion therapy. Number six, as long as you are performing public service and putting people first, your work will be rewarding. And that pretty much goes for everything. Let me know what organizations you like, what you are passionate about, and how you are creating a positive impact in our world. If you aren't involved in anything yet, make sure to check out the podcast on social media at Have a Bless Gay on all the platforms because I will be sharing some wonderful organizations you can volunteer for and get actively involved with. I have posted links in the show notes for Megan Hunt and all the wonderful work she's doing. Definitely check out her Twitter. She is extremely politically active and candid on there. It's so wonderful to see someone with such a drive and passion for justice. And if you haven't yet, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. It is the best way to keep up to date with the podcast and to know when new episodes drop. It's totally free and we love free things. It only takes a couple of seconds and makes a big difference for the podcast. And guess what? I'll give you a symbolic gold star. So really, do I need to say more? Also, make sure to reach out to me. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed connecting with people through messages, comments, and emails. Don't hesitate to say hey and tell me about your spiritual journey. Now, because this content is quite heavy, sometimes you might not be able to laugh it off. And if you are struggling and having a hard time, I want you to know that I will always post helplines in the show notes. So please reach out if you need to. Just remember this, you are special, you are purposeful, And you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed gay, y'all.